0: The bankruptcy Law Success Podcast, where we introduce you to successful bankruptcy lawyers, as well as powerful ideas that can transform your bankruptcy practice. Today, I'm recording a solo episode, so it's a little different than the usual format. In fact, I think this is the first time that I haven't interviewed somebody else on this podcast, but today, I just wanted to speak to you directly. Now, I'll start this podcast by explaining where I've been. It's actually been about two years since I recorded a podcast episode. And the reason is that I kind of discovered a pot of gold at the end of the bankruptcy rainbow. And I've been busy spending the last two years working with my bankruptcy attorney clients to create a map to that pot of gold. That pot of gold that I'm referring to is offering zero down, bifurcated, chapter seven bankruptcies. And just in case you're unfamiliar with how I'm using these terms, let me break them down. So first, the zero down part means that the client doesn't have to pay you all the money before you file or even make a down payment. They literally pay you nothing up front. In fact, what I call a true zero down is when you also front them the 338 court filing fee and maybe even the credit counseling classes and any fees to order a credit report. At the very least, you can't charge up front for attorney's fees. Second, by bifurcated, I mean that you're splitting the bankruptcy case into two parts. There's the pre-petition part where you'll be collecting documents and doing due diligence. And with a zero down, you won't be charging anything for that pre-petition portion. And then there's also a post-petition portion where you'll be preparing the petition doing the sofa and your schedules and filing the case. And you'll definitely be charging for this part of the case. In fact, the good news is that since you're doing all this work after the petition is filed, you're allowed to create a debt that the client will pay over time. And because that debt didn't exist before the petition was filed, it isn't subject to being discharged by the bankruptcy. So that way you can create a payment plan for the client to pay your attorney's fees and you can even finance the filing fee for the client since that's also considered a post-petition fee. And third by chapter seven I just mean that we're actually discharging debts with a chapter seven. And just so there's no confusion I am not talking about doing a so-called zero down chapter 13 where we bake their attorney's fees into the payment plan and the client has to pay for three to five years. I'm talking about doing chapter sevens where the client walks away from all eligible debts. So that's what I mean when I refer to a zero down, bifurcated chapter seven bankruptcy. And to get to that pot of gold that I promised you, you just have to offer zero down, bifurcated chapter seven bankruptcies to your client. That's it, that's the pot of gold. Now, to be fair, You also have to adopt your process and your sales pitch now that you're selling bifurcated sevens instead of traditional sevens. And that's a step that many attorneys skip. And if you really want to grow your practice, you have to make sure that you market zero down sevens to potential clients. And you have to go to market with zero down as your primary marketing message. So we'll get into this with later episodes, but you can't talk about your 26 years of experience as your primary marketing message the one marketing message that people really respond to is zero down and that has to be your primary marketing message. But if you do these things and I've repeatedly seen this happen your bankruptcy practice will become much 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 more profitable and it's also going to be a lot more fun as well. So in this episode I want to tell you a few stories about how I discovered all this. Now, the first story is actually about how I discovered that just offering traditional bankruptcies is a pretty terrible business. And again, so we're on the same page. Before I get into this story, let me just define my words. By traditional bankruptcy, I'm referring to a regular bankruptcy where the client either pays in full upfront, or maybe they pay a certain amount up front before the attorney will file and then the attorney does a 341 after the client pays a full amount. I don't know what you call that second type. But I've seen a lot of attorneys who do that. Okay, so the first story that I'm talking about is actually a mystery story. And specifically, it's the mystery of why my client's credit card kept declining even when I was sending him lots of cheap $35 leads. Now, I don't know if you've bought bankruptcy leads on Google before, specifically Google Ads, but $35 per lead is a fantastic result. And because I generated them, I happen to know that 80% of those leads were phone calls, which is great because someone's only gonna pick up the phone if they're highly motivated. And because I generated those leads, I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty that every single one of those leads had gone to Google and searched for bankruptcy or bankruptcy lawyer or foreclosure lawyer. So I know that these were great leads. These were the Glengarry leads. Plus I really respected this attorney. He's really knowledgeable. Plus, he's kind, and he's caring, and he's just really good on the phone. So I figured with all these leads I was sending him, he'd be rich. But instead, his Google Ads account kept on alerting me that his credit card was being declined. And then he called me and asked if we could run the monthly charge for my services on the 10th after he got his Chapter 13 check from the trustee. So I knew something was going on. So I listened to some of the recordings of his calls, and over and over again, I heard prospects say that they needed to file for bankruptcy and they wanted to file with him, but they just didn't have the 2000 or so in cash that he required them to pay him up front. In other words, a huge chunk of his leads were too poor to file for bankruptcy. So I talked to the attorney about this and he was surprised. And so I thought I would share the reason why he was surprised. And the reason is he got a lot of his clients by referrals. And since the only people who could afford him were rich enough to file bankruptcy, his referral base was referring their friends. And their friends were also rich enough to file for bankruptcy. So before we ran ads to the masses, he wasn't really seeing as high a percentage of prospects who couldn't afford to file for bankruptcy. Again, he had been in business for a long time and built up a large referral base of higher-end customers. So that was the mystery. I was generating a lot of leads for this attorney that were people that needed the benefit of bankruptcy, but only like one in five of these prospects were actually able to afford to file traditional bankruptcy. So that's why these leads converted poorly, and that's why he eventually fired me, and, you know, I, I don't blame him. What I do blame is the traditional bankruptcy product, where poor clients who may already be getting garnished are supposed to be able to come up with at least a grand in attorney's fees, and probably closer to two grand, plus they need the filing fee, and often they need to pay for the classes and the credit report fees themselves. And they need to do all this before they get any debt relief for bankruptcy. And this is just way too much money for most debtors, particularly if they're already being garnished and they've got a whole long queue of creditors who are waiting to garnish them. So they just end up spending years being garnished and they suffer in terrible pain for years. I also want to express some sympathy for the bankruptcy attorneys who are serving those people because it's heart-wrenching to hear these problems have to turn down debtors because they're too poor to file for bankruptcy. And financially, it's also very difficult to build a successful practice when you're turning away four out of five people who are interested in getting your product because they can't afford it. So that's how I figured out that traditional bankruptcies weren't a great product to sell. And because my day job is selling marketing services to bankruptcy attorneys, This is all pretty terrible news for me. So I kept on searching and that brings us to my second story which is how I tried marketing everything except zero down chapter sevens. So this story starts when I got a new client who wanted to expand his practice but he didn't want to offer a zero down chapter seven because frankly he was scared of his trustee. To be honest at the time I didn't even understand what a zero down bifurcated seven even was. So, for this client, we just tried advertising for a zero down Chapter 7 with a third party guarantor. So, in case you haven't run across this approach before, what you do here is that you offer a zero down payment plan to the client on the condition that they have to have a rich uncle or a friend to guarantee their payments. So, this is a regular, traditional, non bifurcated bankruptcy. So, when the bankruptcy petition is filed, the client's debt for attorney's fees is discharged by the bankruptcy. However, that debt doesn't just disappear because the guarantor is still on that debt and will be as long as the guarantor doesn't have to file for bankruptcy as well. So at this point, from a legal perspective, the guarantor is the only person who is obligated to make payments on this debt for the bankruptcy. But because of the social ties that bind, what usually happens is that the client either makes payments on the debt that are quote-unquote voluntary, or sometimes the guarantor will make the payments and then the client will pay the guarantor. And I suppose sometimes the client will flake out and then the guarantor has to pay. The exciting part for me in this story is that this was the first time that I could advertise a zero down payment plan for a chapter seven. And it made a huge difference in that we instantly doubled the amount of leads that we got with very minimal changes. So it was very exciting. But the problem remained that the leads still didn't convert. So what happened is that some small percentage of the leads ended up paying in full and filing a regular bankruptcy. But the rest of the prospects didn't have a rich uncle or friend that could guarantee them. So a zero down chapter seven with a third party guarantee didn't convert all that much better than a traditional bankruptcy. Okay, so at this point in this saga, I'll admit I was pretty discouraged. The only remaining option seemed to be a zero down chapter 13 bankruptcy. And I had already heard from a lot of my clients that a big chunk of their clientele just wanted to stop a foreclosure and then they would never make a single payment on their plan. So they said that you needed to weed out those sorts of clients by getting them to pay something up front. So all in all, the zero down chapter 13 bankruptcy approach didn't sound too promising. And 13s are a lot of work up front. So if you do all the work for chapter 13, you create the payment plan, then you get it confirmed at the confirmation meeting, and then you get ghosted by your client who never makes a payment on the payment plan. It's pretty depressing. So in my search for a good bankruptcy product to sell, I didn't know what to do next. And then something kind of miraculous happened. I'm doing this podcast and I'm interviewing lots of bankruptcy attorneys about what's working for them. And what happened is that I'll interview someone and then I'll, then we'll say goodbye and then we'll, we'll, we won't hang up. We'll talk for a little bit. So what happened is that after one of these interviews, I was doing a little kind of post interview conversation. And my interviewee, a bankruptcy attorney, who was very successful, he told me that his firm was filing 200 plus bankruptcies a month. He mentioned this after we stopped recording. That's why you never heard that quote, even if you're a faithful uh, listener to this podcast. But he told me his secret, and his secret was zero down bifurcated sevens. So that's the first time I realized that bifurcated sevens were really possible and how they worked on a high level. I pressed him a little more. And I guess he was just tired after doing the interview. He didn't get into a lot of detail with me, but he did mention that he had gotten his start with bifurcated sevens by working with BK Billing. So I went over to LinkedIn and I reached out to the founder of BK Billing. His name is David Stidham, and I invited him onto this podcast. And my interview with David Stidham really opened my eyes to the power of a 0 bifurcated chapter seven bankruptcy basically boils down to what david said in that interview which is that bankruptcy attorneys who might be doing three or four filings a month and they switch to doing zero down bifurcated sevens so all of a sudden they start doing 15 to 20 filings a month instead of three to four and that's music to my ears because that's an increase of like five times so clearly bifurcated sevens are increasing the retain rate and that's the holy grail that i've been looking for At the same time, allowing clients to do a payment plan, which is enabled by that bifurcated Chapter 7 bankruptcy, that's going to destroy the cash flow for any bankruptcy practice. Just to be explicit, let's say that you're allowing clients to pay over a year. And let's say that you're financing $2,400. I'm just throwing out some numbers. So if your clients are paying you in full, then you're getting $2,400 today. But if you're financing it with a bifurcated case and you're enabling a payment plan, then you're just going to be getting one twelfth the amount that you would if they had paid in full. So you're getting like $200 a month instead of $2,400. So the value add that BK Billing played in this whole process is they would collect the money from the client for you and then they give you a bunch of cash up front. So, like, if you filed $20,000 of accounts receivable with them, then they would give you something like $12,000 up front, they would keep 5000 for their work and collecting the money, and then they'd put something like $3,000 into an escrow account to cover potential defaults. I don't want you to focus on the numbers so much as just, as, you know, the role that BK Billing is playing. By the way, it particularly doesn't matter because right now it's the summer of 2021. And my understanding is that BK Billing is still around, but that they're not financing new cases. Now, I'm not 100% sure about that, so if anyone from BK Billing is out there, please contact me and let me know if I'm wrong, and I'll issue a correction. I got real excited when I interviewed David Stidham about zero-down bifurcated sevens, but I must admit that I was still terribly confused about the legality of all this. And that brings me to my third story, which is how I actually learned what a zero-down bifurcated Chapter 7 bankruptcy is including its legal foundations. So this story starts when one of my clients, who's become a good friend, his name's Hector Vega, and he's an attorney in California. Now, he had seen an article in the ABI Journal by an attorney named Dan Garrison. So he forwarded to me, and this ended up being the first article about bifurcation that I'd read that actually made sense to me, to the point that I thought, after reading it, I thought that it, it was possible one day to understand the legal approach behind bifurcation in bankruptcy. Before that, I kind of thought it was like a sacred mystery that I would never understand. And because all my clients are bankruptcy attorneys, I knew that they would want a detailed explanation of how bifurcation works in bankruptcy. So I read the article a bunch of times and then I emailed Dan. And he had started a company called Fresh Start Funding that competed with BK Billing. And I interviewed Dan on this podcast and I finally began to understand the legal foundations of bifurcation. So my big breakthrough here was realizing that I had previously been looking for some kind of national precedent for bifurcation that didn't exist. You know, some kind of magical Roe v. Wade for bankruptcy. There is a case that was decided in Utah. It's called Inray Hazlitt. And that provides a great precedent for the Tenth Circuit, but that's not a national precedent. Now, if you go back and you look at the various bifurcation cases, you'll see instead that there's just been a slow accretion of certain useful guidelines from different opinions. For instance, there's an opinion in the Walton v. Clark in Washington case, and that established that cashing post-dated checks that were signed pre-petition wasn't enough to enable post-petition payments. So that's where this idea of separate contracts for pre-petition work and post-petition work, that's where that comes from. And then there was a follow-up opinion in that same Walton v. Clark in Washington case. And the judge established there that another useful guideline is that you must give a three-option disclosure to your client. So that after the pre-petition contract is completed, you need to let them know that they can, one, switch to using another attorney for the post-petition part. Two, they can do their own case pro se. Or three, they can continue with you. Again, this isn't a binding precedent, but this opinion created another useful guideline. By the way, when I talk about this three-option disclosure to attorneys, every attorney who's looking to mitigate risk always is worried that clients are going to do their own case pro se at this point or switch to another attorney. And I have attorneys who have done hundreds of cases and this has never happened to them. So this is kind of a legal concern that I've never seen come up in practice. So it's it's not something I would worry about. This is just a brief aside. OK, so there's also a few more useful guidelines that have come up that are kind of just common sense that have come up in various opinions. For instance, there's another thing that you have to do for a bifurcated seven, which is disclose your post-petition payments to the court. Now, normally, the standard form 2030 makes it hard to do because that bankruptcy form assumes that there is no post-petition payment to the attorney. But Dan Garrison, the same Dan Garrison from earlier, he wrote another ABI article called There's No Such Thing as Too Much Information, which you can Google. And it says that Form 2030 is a director's form. So you're allowed to modify that form yourself to suit your needs, subject to local rules. So you can modify that form and make it easy to disclose your post-petition payments to the court. So that's another common sense legal hurdle that's easy to clear. There's another issue, which is actually the most common objection that trustees have made in the past, which is that attorney's fees for a particular case must be reasonable. And the gold standard here is that your hourly rate times the average number of hours that you spend on each case must be larger than what you charge in attorney's fees for the post-petition part of your case. Now, it's true that the reasonableness test is a steeper climb for bifurcated sevens, since you're giving away the pre-petition portion of the case and only charging for the post-petition portion. But it's also true that bifurcating a case introduces additional work to a bankruptcy case, even if you're only looking at the post-petition portion. So for instance, you have to do a second signing appointment to review and sign your statements and schedules. So that kind of work can increase the hours that you're going to clock. And when it comes to the hourly rate, well, in the cases I've reviewed, judges have no problem valuing an attorney's time at whatever they say. I saw someone claim $325 an hour and the judge accepted that. And if the judge is going to accept a relatively high hourly rate, you're not going to have to clock a lot of hours on the post-petition part of your average bifurcation case to pass a reasonableness test. And the final common sense hurdle here is that you need to make sure that you pay the court fees first before you receive a dime from the client or from any financing company. And that's actually the easiest rule to comply with. Either you just pay the court fees first, immediately, or you can put it on your own credit card uh, before you receive any money from the client uh, or financing agency, or you can use an IELTA account. There's lots of different ways. So I ended up spending a couple months learning all this stuff. I got so excited to share this with everybody that I wrote a short book called The Zero Down Bankruptcy Revolution, and that covers all this stuff and more. So you can actually get this book for free from my website at bklawsuccess.com. In particular, I'll highlight that there's actually a long chapter two that covers all the legal foundation that underpins bifurcation. I've only skimmed it in this episode. So if you're concerned in particular about the legal stuff, please read that chapter two and see if you can't get comfortable with this legal approach. So once I was able to make this legal case to my attorneys, I was able to convince some of my clients to start offering zero down bifurcated sevens. And sometimes they were the first attorney in their district to offer a bifurcated seven. Most of the time, though, there was at least one other attorney who was already doing bifurcated sevens in their district. So what happened next was nothing short of extraordinary. So do you remember how my clients offering traditional sevens were able to close one in five appointments? So what I started seeing was that my clients offering zero down bifurcated sevens were able to close four to five appointments. So they're able to grow their practice several times in just a month, just like David Stenham had promised all those years ago. And remember also that there's this whole pool of people out there who are too poor to file a traditional bankruptcy. So by actually offering a true zero down seven, we're able to tap into that market for the first time. I actually got really excited by this because normally, in order to file a traditional bankruptcy, you need to have a very motivated buyer because the buyer is going to need to come up with like $2,000 in cash at the lowest point in their lives. So to find those motivated buyers, you need to get in front of people who go on Google and they search for bankruptcy. So you either need to rank better on Google, either organically or in the Map Pack or something, some kind of SEO approach, or you need to buy Google ads. And I'm well aware of all this because I help my clients buy Google Ads every day. And I also help some of them with their local SEO efforts. Now, just looking at the Google Ads, the problem with Google Ads is twofold. Now, first, the leads from Google Ads are very expensive. And 2nd there they're not enough of them. So I actually work with several attorneys who are buying all the Google ads in their areas, and they'd happily buy more, but they can't go out into people's home and force them to search for bankruptcy. So there's, like a, there's a cap on the amount of supply of Google ads. The corollary, though, is that the percentage of people who are ready and able to file bankruptcy is a minuscule fraction of the population. If the numerator is people who are motivated buyers for bankruptcy, and the denominator is everyone in a particular region you're looking at a very small percentage of the population. So if you're just looking at motivated buyers, it doesn't make sense to advertise to the masses because you're going to be wasting most of your ad spend on people who can't afford a traditional bankruptcy. But you know all those people who are too poor to afford a traditional bankruptcy? So like literally nobody is trying to reach those people. And even if those people talk to a traditional bankruptcy lawyer, they're going to get rejected because they don't have $2,000 burning a hole in their pocket. There are so many of these people because the too poor to afford traditional bankruptcy market is so much larger than the market of people who have financial difficulties and $2,000 in their pocket. So this creates a huge opportunity for us to try advertising to the masses. And that means that advertising on Facebook is a real possibility. And that brings us to our last story for this podcast episode, which is the story of how I learned to generate large amounts of cheap leads for bankruptcy on Facebook and turn them into filing. So I'll start this story in March 2020. An experienced bankruptcy attorney who had just hung up his own shingle hired me to help him start his own practice. He had no leads whatsoever, but he believed in the promise of zero down bankruptcies. So he was actually an ideal client for me. Also, a lot of people like want to move into bankruptcy and have no experience and they think it's going to be easy because you just have to, you know, quote unquote, fill out forms. But it's actually a little tricky. So the fact that he had years of experience as a bankruptcy attorney was very appealing and made me excited to work with him. So we started actually advertising on Google Ads and everything was going great. And then after a few days, we ran into this terrible tragedy, which is that Google suspended his account for, quote, violations of terms and conditions. Moreover, they refused to tell us exactly what we had done that was wrong. So I just looked it up. The account was suspended on March 18th. And that was when the pandemic was just getting serious. I remember Google had sent its customer support staff home and they had stopped providing phone support at that time of any kind. Because this was supposedly a violation of terms and conditions, they actually refused to provide any kind of intelligent feedback whatsoever. So we were left in the dark. So what we do is I would stare at his account for hours. I changed one thing. We would submit an appeal using a contact form on Google's website. And then we would pray that we had changed the right thing and we'd wait a week or two. So we did this repeatedly until finally Google on June 18th, exactly three months later, they decided that my client's account was A-OK after all. So that was great. But in the meantime, for the first three months of this poor guy's bankruptcy practice, Google leads wasn't working for him. And that had traditionally been my most reliable method I had for generating leads. So luckily, I had been experimenting with Facebook ads for a while by then. So I had something ready to hot swap in for Google ads. So I started running Facebook ads for him on March 25th. That was exactly a week after we got dinged by Google on March 18th. And the good news is that the Facebook ads worked. So, in April 2020, that was the first full month that we ran this strategy, he ended up filing 17 bankruptcies, 12 of which came from the Facebook leads. And don't forget, of course, leads take time to mature. And he actually ended up filing a lot more bankruptcies from those same leads. Now that I've restarted my podcast, I plan to interview a lot of my clients, including this one. So, hopefully, he's going to be on the podcast soon to tell you more about his results. But he continues to use Facebook along with Google, and he continues to have great results. In fact, last month, in June 2021, he filed 50 cases, which is pretty amazing for two reasons. First, it's hard to generate enough leads to convert 50 of them into bankruptcy filings in just one month. Of course, the attorney deserves credit for generating organic leads and referrals, but a lot of the leads came from Google and Facebook. And also, I'm amazed at my attorney being able to file 50 cases in one month especially considering that he only has a full-time assistant and a part-time intake person. This brings up another kind of unsung part of why zero-down bankruptcies are so powerful. What happens a lot is that attorneys don't even realize it, but they're they're wasting a huge amount of their time talking to all these prospects who are too poor to file bankruptcy, and they end up wasting maybe 50% of their time talking to people that they can't help under any circumstance. And by focusing your time and attention just on those people who can be helped with a zero-down bankruptcy, which is most everybody that has a job, then you can file way more cases because the people that you're talking to end up filing with you. So you don't waste more than 50% of your time talking to prospects who can't afford anything. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a really unappreciated part of zero-down bankruptcy. But looking back at the last two years, it's been an amazing ride. And it all started for me when I began to believe in the promise of a true zero down bifurcated chapter seven bankruptcy. I mean, I, be- I believe in it so much, I wrote that book and I called it the Zero Down Bankruptcy Revolution. So at this point, I figured out how to generate leads from both Facebook and Google. And I've also continued to experiment on the exact best funnel to turn leads from Google and Facebook to filings. And believe me, the way that you turn a red hot Google lead into a bankruptcy filing is going to be way different than the way that you turn a... Let's call it a lukewarm Facebook lead into a bankruptcy filing. But if you do it right, both types of leads convert into a bankruptcy filing very, very well. So at this point in my marketing practice, all of my clients offer a zero down bankruptcy. You know, this sounds intentional, but to be honest, all my clients who are convinced to do zero down bifurcated chapter sevens have started to make a ton of money. And at the same time, all my clients who are bankruptcy attorneys offering traditional bankruptcies ended up firing me over time. So eventually, I just accepted this reality, and it's actually been a while now. I've only been accepting clients who are willing to offer a zero-down bifurcated Chapter 7. And that's just because if a client isn't willing to offer a zero-down bifurcated Chapter 7, they're going to fire me after a couple months anyways. And to be honest, my business runs a lot smoother when all my clients are making money and they're happy. So so it does make sense for me. Now, if you've gotten this far in the podcast and you want to understand the legal underpinnings of bifurcation. Your next step is probably to read chapter two of my book. So, to get my book as both a free PDF and also as a free audiobook, you can just go to my website at bklawsuccess.com and click the Get the Free ebook button at the top of the page. That's bklawsuccess.com. You know what? If you're an actual bankruptcy attorney, and you want a free physical copy of my book, I'll even mail one to you. So just send me an email. I'll set up an email account. Let's call it book at bklawsuccess.com and include your name and address. I'll do a quick Google search to make sure that you're a practicing attorney and mail you a free copy. I'll even mail you a copy if, if you're a trustee or a bankruptcy judge, because I honestly believe our industry needs to embrace bifurcation. And to do that, we need to open up more minds to a new way of offering Chapter 7s. Now, if you're already at the point where you understand the legal underpinnings of bifurcation, or better yet, you're already offering zero-down bifurcated bankruptcies, and maybe you want to talk to someone who knows how to market for you, you can go to my website, again, bklawsuccess.com, and click the Talk to Bob button to schedule some time with me. Okay, well, that's it. Going forward, this podcast is going to be very focused on zero down bankruptcies for a while. So I hope you like this new direction. My goal is to create a new generation of seven figure bankruptcy attorneys who are offering zero down bifurcated bankruptcies. And as a result, are freeing debtors from the shackles of debt that are, quote, too poor to file bankruptcy. So if any part of that resonates with you, hopefully you'll love this new direction. Thanks for listening.